And as you're heading back to your seat, I'm just going to read a bit of last week's passage and then pray for us, and then Chris will read this week's passage. So last week, Tom took you through chapter 6, and you might remember these verses from verse 9. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There's this warning that the people won't hear until the land is decimated. But even when it is, there'll be a little remnant that remains. Keep that in mind as you come into today's passage. I'm going to pray, and then Chris is going to read for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word in Isaiah, please speak to our hearts. Please convict us again of the truth. Lord, please be at work in us and changing us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 17. So, Isaiah, chapter 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Isaiah, the king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be, to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. 
He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. I reckon we can all find ourselves in situations in life that are really messy, really complicated, and you feel kind of hemmed in. It's hard to know what is the best course of action. And I don't know, you might be in one of those situations now. In the middle of all the mess, though, we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to trust God. We know we're supposed to continue to live with Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. But in the murkiness of the mess we're in, it can be hard to see exactly how to do that. It can be hard to think, what, what should the next step be? Even when we know that the most important thing is that we are God's children and that we ought to be living for him, the mess we find ourselves in can make that really hard. The, the bigger the mess, the harder it is to keep trusting God. Next term, when we get into 1 Peter, we'll come to passages in 1 Peter that talk about you know, suffering as the way God tests our trust, and there is a truth to that. But here in Isaiah chapter 7, we're told about a messy situation that King Ahaz finds himself in. And it's incredibly hard for him to trust God. And here's the, the spoiler alert. Uh, you've seen it in chapter 6. He doesn't. He fails the test. But we'll come to that. We're looking across chapter 7, verse 1, through to chapter 10, verse 4. And the reason to look at big chunks of the Old Testament is if we respect God's word as God's word, we don't just pull out a verse and read it and try to make stuff up. We want to see how this unfolds. We want to read in, in context. And so the shape of these chapters goes something like this. Um, chapter 7, verses 1 to 25, the, essentially the bit was, that was read for us and a little more. <clears throat> chapter 7 is a record, <clears throat> pardon me, chapter 7 is a record of the conversation between the prophet Isaiah and Ahaz. Um, Isaiah speaks God's word into Ahaz's messy situation. Um, when you're talking about King Ahaz, this is the, the background. This is where we're at. Remember, Isaiah is God's prophet to the south, to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of, of Israel, around about 700 BC-ish. Isaiah chapter 1 says that Isaiah was the, was the prophet during the reign of three kings. And you'll see Ahaz is the third of those. So here in chapter 7, we're three quarters of the kings through, if you think about it that way, coming towards the end-ish of Isaiah's time as a prophet in the south. Um, Ahaz is there. Uh, the next king after him, King Hezekiah, he'll be king in the south while the, while the north falls, while the north gets taken over by the Assyrians. When you look at... Um, so that's chapter 7. There's this interaction between Isaiah and King Ahaz. Then when you look at chapter 8, verse 1, through to 9, verse 7, what it does is it reflects on that situation just described in chapter 7, and there's oracles there um, talking about the northern kingdom in particular. And then when you come to chapter 9, verse 8, through to 10, verse 4, what that does is it's the way Isaiah foretells the end of the northern kingdom like you saw predicted in chapter 7. So you can see how this is all, what I'm saying is it's all interconnected. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on chapter 7. We're going to zoom in on the conversation between Isaiah and King Ahaz. So 7 verse 1 and 2, they show us Ahaz's messy situation that he's found himself in. Um, If you are doing that Bible in two years reading plan, then this week you'll read the passages in two kings that give you the background to this. So as you read Isaiah, you've got two kings, chapter 16 in particular, open and you can make a bit more sense of this. So in chapter 7 verse 1 it says, When Ahaz son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezim of Aram and Pekah son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. That last little bit there gives you the idea that Ahaz and all around him, they're scared. They're terrified, in fact. What exactly is happening? Well, what's happening is you've got the mighty kingdom of Assyria just growing and taking over more and more territory. The, the, the photo on the screen there shows you the growth of the, the Assyrian Empire. The, the dark is the early and the light is the end. And as it expands, it surrounds Judah. And what's happening here, if you have a look at verse 2, there's a bit of decoding that needs to happen, some jargons being used. So in verse 2, it talks about the house of David. It's talking about Judah, the, one, the, the, the tribe that David came out of, the southern kingdom. And when it talks about Ephraim, it's talking about the northern kingdom because the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel was from the tribe of Ephraim. It's as simple as that. So when you say Ephraim, you're thinking northern kingdom, Judah or David, southern kingdom. What's happening is Aram, this other nation up north and to the side, Aram is siding with the northern kingdom, making an an alliance against the Assyrians. And they're putting pressure on Ahaz to join them. You get that if you read 2 Kings 16, you can piece this together. Verse 6, it sounds like what they want to do is overthrow Ahaz and replace Ahaz with a king who will work with them on this. So you're getting the picture? You can see how messy this is for King Ahaz. He's got pressure from his brothers in the north, Aram as well, and over it all, there's Assyria, a big shadow hanging there. In verse 3, God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz in the middle of all his troubles. And God says, Isaiah will find Ahaz near the aqueduct. Um, Most likely Ahaz is there at the aqueduct checking the water supply, knowing that it is inevitable that there will be a siege. You can tell what's on his mind, can't you? You can tell how serious this is. This is a messy situation. And he's in the the centre of it because he's king of of, of the south. So 7 verses 1 and 2, they set the scene. Then 7 verses 3 to 9 tell us the message that God has for Ahaz in his messy situation. In verse 4, God says through Isaiah, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. And in verse 7, he says, through Isaiah, God says, it won't happen. Aram and um, Ephraim, they won't come and get you. Aram and Ephraim, their plan to overthrow you, it's not going to happen. Verse 8, the reason is Aram and Ephraim, they're not, a, they're not a threat because their days are numbered. In fact, Ephraim, they've got 65 years, and then there'll be nothing left of them. You won't be able to call them a nation. And so the message is, um, be careful, keep trusting God. It won't happen. And then in verse 9, he says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Are you following along? God says, just stay put. Just keep trusting me. Aram, Ephraim, they're not going to get you. 
In fact, if you don't keep trusting me, well, then you're in trouble. Then things are going to fall apart around you. It's like saying, don't fear these human kings. Don't fear these human powers. Fear God. He is the one who's in control. And when you put it like that, fear God, don't fear humans, you can hear one of the messages of Isaiah echoing in the background, can't you? You've heard this before. Um, God is God. First priority is always God. Put God first, everything else will fall into place. And as we're reading this, yeah, you can see how it cuts through to us, can't you? We can find ourselves in situations like Ahaz. We can't find the way out. We can't see the way out. We're nervous. We're worried. But the deal is, just keep trusting. God is sovereign. So back to the passage. Um, chapter 7, verses 10 to 11, Isaiah has, uh, has another message from God for Ahaz. And this is an invitation to Ahaz to ask God for a sign. It's like saying, allow God to prove this to you. you know, give you something to put your trust in. But verse 12, Ahaz refuses to ask and puts on a noble spin on it. Well, I'm not going to test God. You wouldn't be testing God. God said, ask me, I'll give you a sign. And in actual fact, we'll come back to this. There's a sign standing in front of him that he's missing. We'll come back to that. If you read 2 Kings chapter 16, you'll discover what Ahaz does instead of standing firm in his trusting God. In 2 Kings 16, you'll find that Ahaz sends messages to Assyria. So he bypasses Ephraim and Aram, goes to Assyria and says, I'm your vassal. I'm here for you. Help me against these other enemies. Puts his trust in Assyria of all places. And you think about it. God says, trust in me. I have it in hand. And Ahaz is basically saying, no, no, I'll sort this out in my own clumsy way. It's typical human behavior, isn't it? It's what we all tend to do. Ahaz ignores the word of God through Isaiah, and instead Ahaz puts trust in a human king. And again, when you put it like that, you can hear Isaiah 2, verse 22. Isaiah's appeal back in chapter 2, verse 22, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Here's Ahaz putting his trust in a king he, you can't trust. It's his enemy, the king of Assyria. So before you look down on Ahaz in his blatant folly, just you know, pause and... Self-reflect for a second and think, well, how often do I do the same thing? We're not king of Israel, but we still know how to ignore God in our own stupid ways. When what we should be doing is learning to trust God. Um, the fact that Ahaz does not listen to Isaiah, again, this shouldn't surprise us because Tom pre preached on chapter 6 last week. We read it before we read the passage this morning. It's no surprise that Ahaz doesn't listen because God says to Isaiah, go speak to my people and they won't listen. No surprise whatsoever. So have a look back in chapter 6, verse 9. He said to them, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And then jump down to verse 11. Then I said, for how long, Lord? Now, how long is this going to go on? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and so on. And he ends by saying, there'll still be a remnant. So we know Ahaz is going to, not listen. And so therefore we know that what God says will happen, Ephraim will be laid waste in 65 years, but there's trouble ahead for the south as well. Judah will also follow. And history tells us that's what happened. And this small remnant remained, and through that remnant God rebuilds. Okay, what have we got so far? We're looking across chapter 7. 7 verses 1 and 2 shows us the messy situation that Ahaz finds himself in. Verses 3 to 9 of chapter 7 records God's message to King Ahaz through Isaiah, and he says, just hold it, just relax, keep trusting, otherwise you're going to fall. 
And then verses 10 to 12 shows that Ahaz doesn't listen because he's not even prepared to ask for a sign and his failure to listen anticipates the fact that Judah will fall. And so we're up to 7 verse 13. In 7 verse 13, the prophet continues to speak God's word, but he's talking in signs and his meaning is veiled from Ahaz. Again, like chapter 6 says it will be. And apparently what Isaiah says doesn't hit home for Ahaz, but it should for us. Look at verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Remember, that's Judah, the southern kingdom, um, who Ahaz is king of and represents. So listen, Ahaz, and all your people who are scared. Is, not, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? Verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, or if you look down at the footnote, the young, girl, the young woman, the young woman will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's like saying, you're not listening. I'll give you a sign. There'll be um, a young lady that has a baby called God with us. This is a little bit veiled, except that as we read that, we're going, that's the Gospels. There's Matthew chapter 1 there. Verse 14 jumps off the page for us because in Matthew chapter 1, the angel that appears to Joseph and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the child that she's bearing is from the Holy Spirit, says, basically quotes this passage. So Matthew 1 verse 22 says, all this took place, the, the, the gospel writer goes, reflecting on this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. We know it's Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, you look at it and you think, wow, God's incredible at multitasking, isn't he? He's talking to um, Ahaz back then, 700 BC-ish, and he's talking to us at the same time. It's pretty cool. That's multitasking. Isaiah um, is speaking a real message that has significance in that day and at the same time looks forward to Jesus coming and helps us understand the arrival of Jesus. So with our New Testament perspective, we marvel at God's sovereignty. It's one of those verses in the Bible that grows our confidence that actually God is in control. Even when you are in a messy situation, he has everything in his hands. But there's more to marvel at because we can see the connection to Jesus, but just you know, pause on that. What does it mean for Ahaz and Isaiah? What's the point of this sign? What's the significance of the sign in Ahaz's day? Well, if you keep reading, this child born of a young woman in Isaiah, it's like the child is a reminder of God's timing. It's like God saying, you look at that kid and you'll know that I'm going to do what I said I would do. So, um, as you read on, this is a reminder um, to Ahaz and to everyone around that God will keep his word. Remember the message back in 7, verses 7 to 9? It says, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. This, this prophecy that the northern kingdom will fall. The child born to, for the woman in Isaiah's day will be a reminder of those words. If you look at verse 6. For before, or 16 rather, for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So in Isaiah's day, there'll be a sign, a child born to a young woman. And before that child reaches a particular age, God will keep his word. He will punish Ephraim through Assyria. Um, he'll be punishing the northern tribes for ignoring him, following after other gods. And he will use Assyria to do that. But God will also keep his word against Judah and Jerusalem, if you keep reading. 
Remember 7 verse 9, Isaiah said, if you don't stand, you will... Um, if, it said in 7 verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's not just Ephraim who will fall. You keep reading and the south will be laid waste as well. Judah and Jerusalem will suffer in verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. And then verse 18 and following go on to describe the extent of the mess. The land will be laid bare and barren. People will be scratching around for resources to live. But as you reflect on it, Isaiah is saying, yeah, they will, but they will continue. They will continue to live. So this child born of a woman is a sign that God will keep his word and two things are going to happen. There's going to be judgment and yet a remnant will keep chugging along. will remain. God will preserve a remnant. And the minute you mention the word remnant, your ears should prick up because you've already read about a remnant. In chapter 7, in the first couple of verses, look back up at verse 3. There's another child in verse 3 with another significant name. So Ahaz um, may not have noticed who was holding daddy's hand at that day, but we're supposed to notice. Um, when Ahaz was in the middle of his messy situation, as he checked out the water supply, no doubt contemplating the mess and the threat of the king of Assyria, he didn't notice the prophet had his little boy with him, his son with him. Um, look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, and there's a footnote that tells you his name means a remnant shall return or a remnant shall repent um, take your son to meet Ahaz it's, remember God says to Ahaz ask me for a sign well, there's one in front of him he can't see it even as Ahaz rejects the word of God's prophet even as he refuses to ask for a sign there's a sign in front of him a sign God's saying I will preserve a remnant a remnant will repent. A remnant will come back. And again, this is part of the Bible that makes you marvel at God's sovereignty, that he can do so many things at once and have it all interconnected and all working to his plans and his purposes. He can multitask in an incredible way. He brings judgment, but as he brings judgment, he, he purposefully spares a remnant of his people so that Jesus can come in that line. It's incredible when you look at it. When Jesus is born, Matthew's right to recall Isaiah's time. Um, and as a young woman or a virgin is bearing a child with the name God with us, yes, it calls to mind Isaiah the prophet in the middle of that mess saying, God's got this. He's in control. He will judge and he will save a remnant. Um, so if you feel like you've got reason to doubt God, if you feel like things are just so messed up, that you've got cause to walk away from God, do things your way, like Ahaz did, just stop and think again. You can trust God and you must trust God. If you don't trust God, you fall. For us, trust in God translates into put your trust in Jesus. He's the one who's taken the punishment for the mess we've made. We should be living with him as our Lord and our Saviour. And so if you are going through hard times... What matters more than anything else is that you keep trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You may not know how things are going to pan out, but get that right and you'll be safe. So if you're looking at the sermon outline, you can see we're nearly done. We've looked across chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. What remains is to now do the step back and then see what happens in chapters 8 and 9 and into the start of 10. 
So when, this will be quick. When you take a step back, chapter 8, verses 1 through to 9, verse 7, um, that forms the next section. It turns over these events in chapter 7. There's oracles through there that kind of play around with and mess around with what you've just heard and do the artistic sort of poetry thing with it. Um, 8 verse 3, Isaiah has another child. I presume the prophetess is his wife. This third child in the passage um, has another interesting name. If you look down to the bottom of the page and get the footnote, this third child is called quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. So before this child can say daddy and mummy, the Assyria will come down on the northern kingdom. Um, in 8 verse 8 and in 8 verse 10, Emmanuel, God with us, is used again, just kind of echoing what you've seen in chapter 7. In other words, these oracles in chapter 8 through the start of chapter 9 are mulling over the, 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 the things we've seen in chapter 7. And look at how um, 8 verse 18 goes. It says, Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Um, the chapter change through chapter nine and in, um, through the end of chapter eight and into chapter nine then turns to this theme of darkness becoming light, something which gets picked up in the gospels as well. So what I'm saying is eight verse one through to nine verse seven reflects on chapter seven and, and turns these things around. And then the third part of the passage is chapter nine, um, verse eight through to 10 verse four. And here what you have is um, the prophet in his oracles explaining what will happen, that Ephraim will fall, the northern kingdom will be decimated. Um, it's a reminder that God will judge, a reminder that what, you, what Ahaz needed to do was to keep trusting God and stand firm with his trust in God. He didn't, and so he fell. I know that's pretty brief, but you can see how it all fits together. And as you look across kind of two and a half to three chapters of Isaiah, you kind of need to read chunks like that in the Old Testament quite often to make good sense of it and to honestly treat this as part of God's word rather than pulling out one verse and making things up. Looking across Isaiah 7 verse 1 through to 10 verse 4, what do we learn about living for God in our own real life, often messy situations? Well, I've tried to you know, join the dots for you along the way, but there's obvious things. Um, the first one that I showed you was just how um, willful and sinful Ahaz could be, how hard-hearted that describes our heart too. Beware of your heart. Um, what we need to do, as you look across this passage, what we need to do is trust that, yeah, God is sovereign. He has everything in hand. What we need to do is keep trusting in God. And for us, that means trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Um, this passage shows us Ahaz um, failing. Let's pray that we don't, that we would keep trusting in God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing way that you have worked through history. Um, thank you for the way we are reminded of that as we look at these verses from Isaiah. Lord, thank you above all for the way that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for the way that we reject you for our sin. Lord, thank you that his death in our place is sufficient so that we can be forgiven and stand before you with a clear conscience. We pray that we would be doing that this morning. Please forgive us and change us, we pray. Lord, we know that life in this world as we wait for Jesus' return is complicated, and we know that some even today are going through really difficult times. Lord, please help us in the midst of our difficulty to keep trusting in you, to keep putting Jesus first in everything. And we pray that as a church that we'd be able to encourage each other in this. We pray in, his, in Jesus' name. Amen.